the Crusaders, the Crusades, was one of the most significant tragedies in Jewish history that made a huge impact on Jewish life, on European life, uh, definitely one of the most significant in the past thousand years or since the destruction of the Second Temple. Um, it's on par with the other major tragedies that have happened um, since the destruction of the Temple until the Holocaust, the Bar Kokhba uprising, the expulsion of the Jews from Spain, and the Chemonitsky uprising could all be marked as the most significant tragedies that happened to our people, among many, 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 many others. We have a long history of tragedy um, that we commemorate, but the Crusade definitely is one of the most important, uh, one of the most severe. Now, when we say the Crusades, there were a number of various tragedies that we'll talk about, but the most impactful one was the First Crusade in the year 1096. So just over 900 years ago. It was in the year 4896 in the Jewish calendar, or in Hebrew, Taf Taf Nun Vav. And we Jews referred to the First Crusade by the term Gzerot Tatnu, Gzerot Tatnu in a Yiddish pronunciation. The um, tragedies of Tatnu, Tatnu being an acronym for Taf Taf Nun Vav, um, the Hebrew year that these events happened. And so, but to understand what happened, it's important to understand Jewish history at this time. So around the 6th century, the Christian Roman Empire, the Roman Empire which controlled much of Europe and the entire Mediterranean, the entire Mediterranean coastline, had converted to Christianity by Constantine in the three, early 300s. Um, around the 500s, some 200 years later, the Roman, Christian Roman Empire had split. It was a gradual split that took some 200 years. It had split between an Eastern Empire, which became known as the Byzantine Empire, based in Constantinople, which was a Greek-speaking empire, because Eastern Rome always spoke Greek, and a Western Latin Empire um, that was based in Rome. Now, the... Um, in the East was united politically in a single empire, which gradually shrunk over about a thousand years. But the Byzantine Empire lasted for a very long time, based in Constantinople. It was led by an emperor, and so they were a political, a single political entity, although religiously it was pretty disparate. On the west side of the Roman Empire fell apart politically, where there were many, many, many different countries and kingdoms and fiefdoms and, um, also, and various areas, um, principalities. But it was all united under a single unified church controlled by the Vatican in Rome. And as the political structure of the Western Roman Empire disintegrated, the religious structure became stronger and stronger and more and more centralized with the Pope in Rome controlling all of Christian Europe and all of Western Europe controlling the Catholic Church everywhere. And this was particularly true in Central and Western Europe, in other words, beyond Italy and Spain. In Italy and Spain, the Church was more powerful politically than Papal, papal States 
they had more actual power. They were less powerful religiously. The bishops were more independent of the pope. But as you moved further north to the western and central Europe, over there the church was very, very powerful. Um, while the while the the pope didn't actually control the church, didn't actually have any real um, didn't have any real political control. So Western Europe at this time, Central Europe, what, we're, what, the, what the areas we're referring to are modern-day England, France, Germany, Austria, Czechia. So those, these areas had become largely feudal. They were split into what later became famous in the French Revolution, three estates. There was the aristocratic class, the barons, the nobles, the knights, the aristocrats, the dukes, the, they were the, the aristocrats. But they themselves were divided. There were the princes and kings and powerful dukes that had large principalities. And then there were the low-level barons. There were a lot of low-level barons and counts and knights. Um, there were many, many, many of them that, you know, controlled maybe a small village um, if that then there was the church the church was controlled by bishops in each area and the bishops at this time were many rulers in many of the cities many of the towns were actually owned by the church with the bishop effectively being the leader the the governor of that town or of that area and most of the larger towns were actually controlled at this point by the church. And then there were the serfs, the majority of the people who were uneducated. They were essentially slaves. It was essentially slavery. They were slaves of the aristocrats or of the church. The only way they could get out of their slavery was by joining the church and becoming a priest. It was the only way to get out of being a serf. There was also the bourgeoisie who were the, the middle class, the business people. There weren't that many of them. They lived mostly in the towns that were controlled by dukes or bishops. Now, Jews at this time had lived in the Roman Empire for centuries, since before the destruction of the Second Temple. They had mostly lived in Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, Spain, kind of along the Mediterranean. But as the Roman Empire disintegrated, and as um, Northern Europe developed more, Central Europe and Western Europe developed more, Jews started moving in very, very large numbers to many of the towns and cities. And the um, Jews were also a bourgeoisie. They were small artisans, financiers, merchants, living in the towns. They didn't work the fields mostly. Some Jews did actually lease fields from the aristocrats and manage fields or vineyards or the like. Um, so Jews, some Jews became, many Jews were poor. Some Jews, though, became very wealthy, very successful, and actually managed trade. They helped finance um, any um, duke or um, count or baron who had plot land. They needed financing to help plant their land, to help pay the, to feed the serfs that were working the land. They needed financing. They needed um, they needed merchants, so Jews were doing a lot of the trade, a lot of the international trade, a lot of the financing, a lot of the managing, estate managing. 
Um, so Jews were second-class citizens. The church was very anti-Semitic. So there were a lot of anti-Jewish laws where they could live, what they could do, certain jobs they weren't allowed to have, how they lived, how high their houses could be. There were a lot of rules. A lot of places Jews weren't allowed to be outside at night. But they lived relatively peacefully. Here and there, there were attacks on Jews, but it wasn't all that common. They were more threatened. The threat was more the instability of the time. At that time, Europe was extremely unstable. All the dukes and counts and barons were constantly battling with each other. There were constant wars. The kings who controlled the kingdoms were battling. And then, you know, the smaller principalities were all fighting with each other, each with their own militias. There were various uh, mercenary groups that, you know, moved, roamed from town to town um, for hire um, when necessary. And so it wasn't, the Europe in, generally, in general was pretty, Europe in general was pretty unstable then. So there wasn't, but they weren't threatened, they were threatened more by instability in general than particular anti-Jewish persecution. The Catholic Church believed that Jews should be second-class citizens. They had this belief that Jews should be treated as second-class, and they were therefore limited because they were second-class citizens. But they also believed that it was wrong to kill the Jews. The Jews were supposed to be there as a sign of those that refused to accept their Savior. So this is what happens to their, how they're treated as second-class citizens. So they believe that it was wrong to kill Jews. And that's always, by the way, being the official Catholic Church doctrine throughout history. Although they painted Jews as the devil and as the killers of their savior. And uh, they definitely helped foment the hatred towards Jews that led to their killings. But the church always officially was against killing Jews. Now, in the 600s, in the early 600s, the um, uh, Mohammed built Islam in the um, Arabian Peninsula, far, far away from Europe. And um, in the next century or so, um, the Muslims spread out from what was Arabia. Um, they spread out across much of the Middle East, taking huge swaths of the Byzantine Empire that was still around. Um, and taking all of what today would be Iraq and Syria and Israel, going uh, you know, down to Egypt and as far all across North Africa, capturing even Sicily and going up to Spain. Um, and so the land of Israel, which had been under Christian rule until then, fell into Muslim hands in the, early, in the mid-600s, the early 600s. The, um, the, but Christians in Europe weren't largely, except for those near Spain, were largely not affected by that. Um, and yet, um, in the second half of the 11th century, the late 10 hundreds, there was a group called the Seljuk Turks. The Seljuks were a Turkish tribe. The Turks were these nomadic groups that lived in Central Asia. And um, they had, there were many different nomadic Turkish tribes. So there was this one Turkic tribe, the Seljuks, um, who came across Europe and conquered much of the Middle East as well as Asia Minor into what today would be modern-day Turkey from the Byzantines really shrinking the Byzantine Empire um, and taking much of their eastern, uh, the eastern part of the empire. And they were threatening Constantinople. 
They also captured the land of Israel um, from the Fatmids, who were based in Egypt, who had controlled Israel before that. Arabs, um, they, they took the land of Israel. Now, the Byzantine Empire, the emperor at the time, his name was Alexios, um, was felt threatened. They were going to attack Constantinople, and so he asked Pope Urban, his name was, to for help, claiming that the asking him for help to send troops from Western Europe to help defend Constantinople, claiming that the Seljuks were desecrating Christian sites in the Holy Land and harming Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land. Christians, of course, always considered the land of Israel holy, right? It's the center of their religion as well. So in the Council of Clermont in, 189, in 1095, Pope Urban II called for a crusade Crusade is a French word for after the cross, that the crusaders wore on them. A crusade to free the Holy Land from the infidels, meaning the Muslims. So many preachers from the church went around from town to town preaching the crusade. They promised pardoning of debts. They promised glory in battle, wealth. They promised very important in the Catholic Church, you get indulgences. Uh, indulgences apparently in the Catholic Church the Pope can grant you certain credits that you can sin you get extra credit for sins um, so it allows you to sin more uh, I don't know much about the Catholic Church but apparently they have that kind of system yeah so you get you get they're called indulgences so you get indulgences if you go and then um, so they they worked up the serfs and many low-level aristocrats to join this crusade so among the leaders of the crusade was a monk called Peter the Hermit, who was a French monk, and a fellow called Godfrey of Bouillon, also French, um, a low-level um, count who was who also had joined, who was one of the leaders of this crusade. As the crusades gathered, preachers spoke against the Jews. In fact, Godfrey of Bouillon, one of the leaders um, of the crusade, called for um, Godfrey of Bullion, one of the leaders of the crusade, called for, said, why wait till we go to the Holy Land to kill infidels when we have so many infidels here in Europe? We've got to first take care of the local infidels before we go to the Holy Land. So they were calling to kill all the infidels in Europe. The Jews in France offered the crusade leaders large sums of money for their protection and so most of the Jews in France were spared but they quickly sent Jews of France quickly sent word to the Jews in Germany to prepare because the crusaders were passing heading eastward passing along down the Rhine River passing through Germany and would pass through their communities the leader of the Jewish community in Mainz, which was the largest Jewish community at the time, his name was Clonimus ben Mishulam, quickly sent a letter to Emperor Henry IV of Germany, um, asking, then they were called the Holy Roman Empire, asking for protection. That was what the German Empire was called, asking for protection. The emperor quickly wrote to the crusaders that they better protect the Jews. Without Jews, Europe would be in a lot of trouble. They need the Jews for financing, for 
managing, they needed the Jews. So um, Godfrey insisted to the emperor that he would ensure that the crusade did not harm the Jews. For extra measure, they also sent Godfrey 500 silver marks as a gift, which was a large, very large sum of money, but all that didn't help. Wherever the crusaders went, they attacked towns, villages, going through France, through Germany, and they, they killed, they destroyed Jewish communities and Jews wherever they found them. As they traveled, the crusade gradually grew in number with serfs, wherever place they went through, serfs and low-level aristocrats joined the crusaders. And as they were growing, they also, bands went off to nearby towns that had Jews to find the Jews and to kill them. The first large Jewish community that the Crusaders came to was the town of Spire. Spire is on the Rhine River in, um, in Germany. Um, Shapiro, of course, comes from Jews that came from the town of Spire. So they come to the town of Spire. They managed to kill 11 Jews before the bishop, Spire, like many towns, belonged to the bishop, was controlled by the bishop. Bishop Johann's troops drove out the crusaders from Spire, kicked them out. He then hid the Jews in his castle, in other nearby castles, and the Jews of Spire largely were spared. Then they continued on to Worms, another very large Jewish community. <coughs> and so many of the Jews ran to the castle of the bishop the bishops then, like many aristocrats, lived in castles that were easily remembered. Europe itself was very chaotic at the time. So the way these, the bishops or aristocrats protected themselves was building castles with moats and walls so that they could defend themselves from invaders. So they hid in the um, bishop's castle. But then they arrived on May 18th, 1096, or e the 23rd of ER, and they attacked all of the Jewish homes in, in Worms, killing hundreds of Jews who had not taken refuge. Every Jew they found, they killed. They then besieged the bishop's castle, castle, and a week later, on the first of the month of Sivan, May 25th, they managed to break into the castle. There they found, when they got into the castle, they found that all the Jews had killed themselves by suicide not to be killed by the Crusaders. 800 Jews died on that day. They continued finding Jews who hid in various other places, killing them ruthlessly, cutting them up, raping women that they, the women that they found, drowning some um, in the river. Um, they found a family um, led by uh, the family of Shemariah, who they bur buried the entire family alive. A group of crusaders led by the ru ruthless Count Amico then turned to Mainz. Mainz was the largest and most important Jewish community in Germany and probably in Europe at the time. At first, the Bishop of Mainz, whose name was Ruthard, closed the gates and refused of this town and refused them entry, refused entry to the crusaders. But after two days, 
they manage to get in, they managed to get someone from mines to let them in through a side entrance. They got into the city and they killed every single Jew in mines that they could find. Many Jews fled to the bishop's castle. Um, the bishop's castle itself fell a day later and um, as the crusaders came into the castle, most of the Jews hiding inside again committed suicide. The crusaders um, killed any survivors that they were able to find. Clonimus ben Meshulam, who was the leader of the Jewish community in Mainz and the leader of really German Jewry because it was the largest and most important Jewish community, managed to escape to the cathedral. The bishops, the cathedral was of course part of the bishops' um, castle always, with 53 Jews. And from there, he was able, the cathedral was alongside the river. From there, they let themselves into the river, they escaped the cathedral, and they got into the river. And from there, they were able to hide in the countryside. Bishop Ruthard knew where they were. They had asked for his help to help with their hiding. And soon, as the crusaders were pillaging through mines, had a change of heart. And he came to where they were hiding and he told Clonimus that they better convert to Christianity or he would hand them over to the Crusaders. They knew that it was, their time was up, they had nowhere else to go. And so they all committed suicide not to fall into the hands of the Crusaders. Next, the Crusaders came to Cologne where the Archbishop Herman learned from his fellow bishops that before the onslaught of the Crusaders, who by now numbered in the tens of thousands, um, by you know in number, were very very large. Um, the the castles didn't hold much protection against them. Right? Hundreds of th tens of thousands of people outside of a castle, they're going to get in sooner or later. So um, instead, the archbishop, his name was Herman, sent Jews to hide in the nearby villages. Fortunately, some of the villagers in the nearby villages were not all that fond of Jews themselves and shared with the crusaders where the Jews were hiding and the crusaders found most of the Jews um, that had been hiding. And this happened in town after town, in Treves, in Regensburg, in other towns throughout Germany. They continued to Bohemia, Bohemia is um, Czechia, um, and Prague, where they killed the Jewish community in Prague. And really, as they traveled, wherever they went, they went, they killed the Jews, really across their path through France, Germany, and on to, um, through, they went through Czechia, then through Hungary, and uh, Hungary had a small Jewish community then at the time, wherever they went, and then eventually through um, Constantinople and to Jerusalem. And every place they went, they killed Jews. In Jerusalem itself, they gathered all the Jews of Jerusalem to the synagogue, and they burned, set the synagogue, locked them in, and set the synagogue alight, killing all the Jews in Jerusalem. And they killed all the Muslims there too. So the survivors wrote these stories in very, very great detail. We have a number of records, large number of records uh, of people, survivors, who wrote what they had witnessed. 
based on their own experiences, or people wrote what they heard from other survivors. Um, there's various estimates of exactly how many Jews in France and Germany were killed. Um, based on survivor accounts, it's thought to be about 12,000 Jews were killed in total. Well, it doesn't sound like a very large number when you compare it to things like the Holocaust, six million Jews, or even the destruction of the first temple, where Josephus gives the number of Jews that died at a million. Yet, Jews, there were much less Jews, of course, in the world at the time. Um, and there were maybe a million, maybe two million Jews in the world at the time. There were much less. And um, for the Jews in Europe, it had a very, very big impact. Most of the largest Jewish communities in Europe were destroyed. They only destroyed the communities that were in their path. So any Jewish communities to the north, to the south, they were fine. Southern Germany, Austria, they were all f southern France, they were all fine. Even the northern parts of Germany were fine. Uh, it was just the ones that were on their path um, were the ones that were destroyed. But some of them were the largest Jewish communities of Europe, like Spire, Worms, Mainz, were among the Cologne were among the largest Jewish communities at the time. Any questions? Yes, Debbie. I was just curious. Did they decapitate? Did they decapitate Jews? Um, I believe so. There's some pretty graphic descriptions of how they killed people, but I don't recall the details. Some of them they. They stabbed multiple times. Uh, they had all sorts of graphic ways of killing people. It was very, gru very gruesome. What method did they use to commit suicide? The Jews? Yeah. Either the, so that what they tended to do was like Josephus himself describes they did during the second destruction of the second temple, um, where they would kill each other until there were only a few left, and then the last few would kill themselves. They did that at Masada. That's what they did as well. There's a lot of discussion at that time, among scholars at that time, about the ethics of it and what would be the better thing to do if you're caught in that situation to allow the enemy to kill you or commit suicide yourself. Uh, it definitely appears from the stories that most of them committed suicide if they had advance notice and rather than fall into the hands of the enemy, whether to protect themselves, or well, the women from rape, protect themselves from torture, from a torturous death, um, or simply not to fall into the hands of their enemies, whichever it was. I have two questions. One was, how did they know who was Jewish? And the other question was, why was there so much hatred against the Jews? Both are excellent questions. How did they know who was Jewish? Um, Jews were very distinct at the time. They dressed differently. They spoke. Jews at the time spoke a French Latin um, that kind of had evolved over the years. Um, it was called Laz, but it included a lot of Hebrew and Aramaic words, kind of like a Yiddish, but a precursor to Yiddish, more of a French Latin. Um, that's what Jews in France, Germany at the time mostly spoke in that, those areas. Um, but there was different than what the local populace spoke. Um, and they lived there. They lived distinctly. They, they was pretty. It was hard. It would have been hard for a Jew to hide themselves and pretend to be non-Jewish. Many Jews did go into hiding. Many Jews did hide um, 
whether in villages, among you know, friendly non-Jews. And there were many non-Jews that did save Jews. Um, they did save Jews. Now, why did the non-Jews hate, why did Christians hate Jews at the time? So this is mostly due to, well, non-Jews have hated Jews throughout history. And why is a subject of its own, why people hate Jews. Uh, in fact, most people in the world hate Jews today. Right, the, the surveys, ADL does regular surveys of Jewish attitudes about Jews around the world. And time and again, what they've shown is the vast majority of people alive today hate Jews. We're just very lucky. We don't live near them anymore. So people have always hated Jews. Um, in particularly, the church believed that all Jews were responsible for the death of their God. And um, they believed that Jews were... Um, condemned because they don't accept Christianity and um, therefore they were infidels so they hated Jews um, in fact they would preach often anti-Jewish you know well, often the sermons were anti-Jewish you know about their hatred for Jews and about Jews but they painted Jews as the devil as you know the hand <laughs> of Satan um, and yeah they, they, they definitely encouraged hatred for Jews uh, for uneducated serfs um, they they knew what they were told. You know, they didn't know any better. They were slaves, basically, uh, for for the low level aristic knights. Most of them probably weren't very educated either. Um, and they did what the church told them. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the official church doctrine was not to kill Jews, and that's remained so throughout all of you know throughout the Catholic Church's history. It's always been the doctrine not to kill Jews. Um, the Catholic Church went to great, um, went to um, some more than others, uh, but took, went to great trouble to save Jews. Most of the bishops tried to save the Jews, um, possibly because they believed it was the right thing to do, possibly because they needed the Jews um, who helped manage their finances or helped with the trade. Uh, remember these towns, which were inhabited by um, the towns were inhabited by the merchant class uh, were by and large Jewish. In other words, a very big percentage, the majority of these towns were, most, were Jewish. Uh, most of the non-Jews living in the towns were probably just mem members of people that worked for the church itself. Um, so that's where the hatred came from. So the Catholic Church was, did not support killing Jews, um, yet they, and neither did the leadership, the political leadership, the kings didn't. Um, the uh, throughout, I mean, very rarely did the kings ever support killing Jews. The you know the the dukes and the um, you know the the leaders of the various principalities didn't generally support killing Jews, um, but their talk, the way they spoke, and their you know hatred for Jews definitely riled up the crowds, and led to maybe un, if you wish unintended but foreseeable consequences. Yes. So there's a lot of countries though that had, you know, hated the Jews, but and there's other countries that didn't hate them that much, as much, right? It varied from place to place and time to time. When I, I was born, as you know, in England and lived there for many years, and they never liked the Jews there. No, in, no. You know, Western Europe has had this inbuilt saying, hatred for a long time. It's, not it's still thing. there. It's still there today. It's yeah, very it strong. Well, they believe that there were inf that before they got the infidels in Jerusalem, they first had to wipe out the infidels in Europe. 
I don't believe Malta was on the path of the Crusaders. Okay, but they didn't go after... Okay. The Jews in Europe in different places suffered at vari various times from different things. What we'll focus on today is the Crusade. The Crusade was, you know, passed through France, Germany, Czechia, Hungary, um, onto, yeah, onto um, Turkey, what today would be Turkey, Constantinople, and then you know, from there to the Holy Land. So it was, it was Jews along their path that they killed. So there were a number of other later crusades. Um, in 1146, 50 years later, so the, the crusaders did succeed in capturing Jerusalem. They captured much of um, Israel and Syria um, and built various crusader kingdoms, they were called, including the kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, but the, over time, their kingdoms began to crumble. And um, the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem was threatened in 1146, and so the Pope at the time called for a second crusade. Once again, the crusaders, started, which began in France and Germany, um, once again attacked Jewish communities as they went, passing through mostly the same path excuse me, as the first crusade. This time, though, the bishops and the dukes were much more effective in protecting their Jews. This time, instead of just being reactive, allowing the Jews to take refuge in their castles. Instead, they were proactive. They actively got their militias to defend their cities and not allow the crusaders anywhere near their cities. Um, so they were proactive, fought back to the, against the crusaders. Um, Jews were killed. Um, a couple hundred Jews were killed in various places. Um, many were harmed, most notably Rabbeinu Tam, um, who was the... Um, the most important Jewish scholar of his day, a grandson of Rashi, uh, one of the greatest Jewish scholars of all times, um, was ca caught by the Crusaders, um, stabbed by them, but he did survive. Um, he did survive. Um, but they said they did kill many Jews, but nowhere near as bad as it had been 50 years earlier. There was a third crusade. A couple years later, um, the Latin 18, 1187, the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, fell to Saladin, the king of Egypt. Um, Saladin was a um, Malmuk, which were a group of um, soldier class um, Arabs that had taken over control of Egypt. And they, took, they captured Jerusalem. So um, the king of England at the time, King Richard, called um, the, his Englishmen together for a crusade to Jerusalem. And as the people began to gather, they began to slaughter Jews across England. In London, in many other places, they would, the crowds that were gathering to join the crusade were going after the Jews. King Richard himself tried to protect the Jews and ordered his standing soldiers, his standing army, to protect the Jews. Um, however, his success was fairly limited. And most notable were the Jews of York, York at the time was the largest city in northern England. Um, they hid in the castle of the local duke. Um, however, the mobs managed to break into the castle and um, they found that the Jews of York also had committed suicide when the mobs broke in. Um, it was only recently, about two decades ago, that um, they actually managed to uncover the mass graves in York um, of the Jews that had been killed in 1187. Um, they found they were, I guess, digging for, um, to build, and they came across 
a mass grave they were able to identify as the grave of the mass grave of the Jews of York from that slaughter. So, this, but despite the horrors of the Crusades, the Jew, Jewish life rebuilt in Europe. But crusade, the Crusaders, 1096, marked a change for life in Europe. It marked the beginning of ongoing pogroms. It marked the beginning of mobs attacking Jews across Europe. Not long after the First Crusade, the first blood libel began, where Jews were, kill, were accused of killing a Christian child and using its blood in their matzah. Something that a accusation that was repeatedly lobbed against Jews for the next 900 years. Um, and every time the mobs would attack Jewish communities. This is throughout. Um, the last known such accusation, believe it or not, was in 1911 in um, Kiev, in Ukraine, um, which was actually sub. Uh, publicly carried, a trial that was publicly carried by the New York Times and by newspapers around the world. Uh, many Western people horrified by, you know, that people could still have such an accusation. Believe it or not, surveys show that a significant percentage of Christians, including in the United States, um, I forget what the number is, I think about 10%, believe today that Jews use Christian blood in their months. They accused Jews of poisoning wells, of stealing the... There was just this past week, uh, one of the doctors at, I think it was UCLA, this woman published that she believes Jews commit cannibalism, and they fired her. But she wasn't embarrassed to put it out to the I didn't even hear about it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so there are... Um, unfortunately, a lot of such beliefs out there. Um, they accused Jews of stealing the wafers. They would have these crackers that would be for JC's body, represent JC's body. They would accuse the Jews of stealing them. Uh, and, and so, uh, and, to, um, and many other such accusations led to regular mobs attacking Jews across Europe. Um, the Jews continued in Europe. They rebuilt. Um, they rebuilt the communities that were destroyed. They rebuilt in other areas, moving to Austria, to Hungary, and then eventually moving to Eastern Europe to try to escape the many pogroms in Western Europe. They moved to Eastern Europe. Um, with time, Jews were expelled from England in the early 1200s and from France in the 1300s. Um, and, but Jews continued to thrive and to grow um, and it was during this time that we built great yeshivas great schools the Jews had many great scholars we have hundreds and hundreds of important works of Jewish law that were written during this time Rashi lived during the time of the first crusade he lived in Troy he wasn't directly impacted by the crusade um, but Rashi did live during this he died a few years later, right after the First Crusade. Um, we have, and the period of the Crusades is really known as the period of the Tosafos. Um, the Tosafos were, um, had many great um, yeshivas, many great schools, and their most important work is the book of Tosafos, which is 
um, a very, very important, one of the most important commentaries on the Talmud, a very, um, very deep analytical commentary on the Talmud that is studied in all yeshivas today, and that was developed during this period, during this Crusader period. So these events, starting in 1096, greatly impacted the Jewish people. It was not the greatest slaughter of Jews by number, but it stands out as one of the most impactful tragedies that befell our people between the destruction of the Temple and the Holocaust. It shook the security of Europe. <coughs> if you will, it was the first of the pogroms. It opened this era where Jewish blood was cheap, where Jews lived in constant fear for their lives. We also have many detailed descriptions, very graphic descriptions of what happened probably more than we have of any Jewish tragedy other, other than the Holocaust or until the Holocaust. We had very, very detailed descriptions were written at the time by contemporaries. Some of those remained in um, manuscript because the Christians wouldn't allow us to print them. A lot of them had some pretty anti-Christian statements in them imagine why the survivors didn't like Christians um, and so they uh, some were printed but printed some were edited in fact um, some of the manuscripts that we have themselves one of the most important manuscripts that, um, that we have that tells the story um, that's in Oxford today um, itself was edited with all of the anti-Christian things erased. Thanks to modern technology, we're able to read those things that were erased. Um, so we could read what it said, but you know, anti-Christian um, statements. Uh, but we did record a large number, a very great detail of what happened. And many keynote, many poems were written, poems of lamentation, they're called in English, poems, sad poems, talking about the destruction were written, a number of which we recite every year on Tisha B'Av. On Tisha B'Av, we have about 60 keynotes, 60 poems that we read, that were written over various periods in Jewish history, and a number of them are from this period, are written about the horrible events of the Crusades. Um, there was a prayer that was written by the Jewish communities at the time, called Av HaRachamim, uh, merciful Father, uh, and it calls on God to remember the communities that were destroyed. It calls on God to also avenge, um, punish those who had harmed us, those that caused us harm. We continue to read the Av Harachamim every Shabbos after the Torah reading. They also instituted a special fast day. They declared the 20th of the month of Sivan. The first crusade happened between the months of Iyar from after Passover until the month of Tammuz that we're in now. They declared the 20th of the month of Sivan as an annual fast day to remember the tragedies. A fast that was kept by German Jews for many years. Later, um, after there was another terrible tragedy that needs its own class, the Chemonitsky Uprising, or known by Jews as the um, the 1648-1649 massacres of Jews across Poland. Um, and later, Polish Jews reinstated this fast day of the 20th of Sivan um, to remember these tragedies. 
while today it's not a required fast, it was only the local communities kind of created it, um, and it's not widely kept today, but they did create this fast um, to remember what happened. Many believe also that the custom to recite Yisker, the memorial prayer, on Yom Kippur and on the other festivals, we recite Yisker four times a year, began at this period. After these tragedies, all the Jewish communities had a wrote the names of all the dead in what was called Yisker books, memorial books, and um, they would read, it was, you know, thousand names in some communities and they would read on Yom Kippur and on the festivals they would read the names of all those who had perished in these um, in these in um, uh, in these in, in this tragedy and um, many think that that's where the custom to recite Yisker for our loved ones that had died um, actually began so a lot of this memorial um, that we still have today began with the uh, with these events of 1096 or in Hebrew, Gzeris Tatsnu. So we remember all these tragedies that befell our people. We mourn for them. We have, today is our day of fasting. We're not eating breakfast today um, or lunch because um, we do mourn and remember the tragedies, the many tragedies that befell our people. And uh, we have records. While Jews had many, many tragedies over the years, we also kept very, very good records of everything. We wrote a lot. We have a very, probably a better recorded history than any other people on earth. And uh, we kept records of many, very detailed records of many of our tragedies. And so we do remember our tragedies and we have times where we mourn for those tragedies, yet we don't live with our tragedies. We get up and we keep going. Our goal is not to build museums, though we have moments of mourning, moments when we remember them, we write books to commemorate them, but our goal is to rebuild and grow. And that's really what the communities in Europe at the time did. While they remembered these tragedies, and while they continued to live with them and incorporate new prayers to re remember them, um, they continued to live, they continued to grow, they continued to build. They built new Jewish communities. And they, continue, they didn't give up. They continued to thrive. And so we continue to... We, we have survived. We have gone through over our long history, over 3,000 years of history, many, many, many tragedies. The Holocaust being, by number, clearly the largest. Um, although a percentage of Jews, we've had some pretty... Many, many severe tragedies over the years that we've faced. Um, many horrific things that have happened to our people. We remember them, we memorialize them, and yet we get up and we keep going, right? We continue to build. And that's perhaps the story of our people that no matter what's happened to us, despite all of these, this suffering, we've managed to survive it all. And not just survive, we managed to thrive. And even though we say in the Haggadah, in every generation they rise up to destroy us, God has always allowed us to continue, and we're still here today to tell the tale. All those people are long gone, right? Nobody remembers those people. Um, unfortunately, I should have mentioned this earlier. I meant to mention it, but I forgot. Um, there's been a... One of the reasons I wanted to talk about the Crusades today is because there's been, in recent years, there's been, in the last few decades, there's been a movement among historians to whitewash the Crusaders. 
say, well, the Muslims also had jihad religious wars, and um, which is true, they did, and some of them were pretty bad. Um, and so the Crusaders, you know, they weren't all that bad, and it's it's overstated, and they didn't really kill that many Jews, and the church was against it and didn't support it, so it was really just, um, it was, and it wasn't the leaders of the Crusades, it was bands that broke off, so there's a lot of attempt by historians to whitewash the Crusades, um, whether they have an agenda or they really believe so, I don't know, um, but there's no question that it was horrific, and it's important to remember these things, not to forget them, remember what hatred could do, right, that's why it's important to remember, to remember what hatred could do, um, to remember also our own history, right, and our ancestors and what they've gone through. Um, I think I've mentioned this in previous classes, but I think it's important to always point out that every single, given the amount of suffering we've gone through in history, every single Jew alive today is certainly a descendant. We, every one of us has a grandparent that was killed for being Jewish, without a doubt. So many Jews have been killed that we all have grandparents, ancestors, that were killed for being Jewish. And it's important to remember that, you know, when we think about how important our Judaism is, we're all grandchildren of people who were killed for being Jewish. And so it reminds us how important our Judaism is, but also, ultimately, we are still here, and we continue going, and we continue to grow, and we continue to thrive, and hopefully very soon we reach a time where we bring world peace and no more hatred, no more violence, and we believe that will happen very soon when Moshiach comes.